It's my uh, duty to talk for the next 30 minutes or so, and it's your duty to listen. And if you get done with your duty before I get done with mine, you're free to go if you need to. (laughs) I was so blessed by what was shared so far. Amen to what was happening. Dan just brought a... I just wanted to say, preach it, brother, and I wished he would have kept on. It was so vivid. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we have an announcement to make. Jesus is coming. And as always, we thank you for shopping at Walmart. (laughs) I wonder what, with Dan, I wonder what people would do with that there. I wonder what they... But it's a reality that we need to, to keep in front of us there. But people would say, well, I wonder if we should get the cereal that's not quite as much sugar in. So... No, get the sugar. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Jesus is coming. I appreciate Linwood's thoughts, and especially the one about the person he met uh, that he judged wrong uh, that bought supper for him. That that was a challenge. (laughs) Amen to what was shared. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 as we wrap it up this time and get into something more normal after that, like, kiss me again and again, for your love is sweeter than wine, Song of Solomon. It seems like with uh, Valentine's being this week, we should go to that, and I don't think I'm going to Song of Solomon next, but... In this book, Solomon shares his experiences, his uh, search for fulfillment. And over and over again, he keeps coming back to the thought that it's just not worth it. All is vanity. And as he took us on this ride, the same the same thoughts kept occurring to this man and he kept bringing them out and he kept telling us about it. Basically, it's futile. Uh, It's not worth it. All is vanity. Uh, Life here on earth is, it's just not, uh, it's just not worth it. All the things that you're trying for right now. And he took us through that journey And in a poetic way, and he brought things out, and he kept saying some of the same things over and over. It's not worth it. Uh, And he takes you on the journey of where he tried to find fulfillment in, in things. And he had, he, he had all kinds of things. We can't fathom the extent that he went to. And education. And pleasure. And we're not very different today than the struggle that he's finding. He, and, and through it all, he says, go ahead and enjoy your life. Enjoy your work. Enjoy the blessings and thank God for them. Savor the cup of coffee and enjoy it. But through it all, uh, the things that you're working for aren't worth it. And you, you, 
you try to find more and better, and you get the new model because it has better fuel mileage and it has remote start. And you get a new phone because the phone has a, a thing that the last one didn't have. And in food, I can relate to it in food. There's something called uh, turkey and chicken and duck. And they have a name for it. You know, we have these big Thanksgiving meal, and they're awesome. We have a good turkey with all the trimmings and the filling and the gravy and the corn. And then we put a duck inside the turkey, and we put a chicken inside the duck. And we have these good meals, and we think of different ways to make them better in our search for the ultimate. We take that chicken and duck and turkey and you, when would you say, okay, that's enough. But you wrap it in bacon. <laughs> and you say, now that's where happiness is. If you can smoke this meat just right, if you can do this just right, or if you can, in our search for more and better, a newer car, a newer house, or more. If I get that, if I get my bills paid off, if I do this, if I make it with this just one more ingredient, and we're all here together. We don't look back at Solomon and say, the way you sought pleasures is way beneath us. The way you tried to make your life uh, and, and, and seek things out. We all have this thing, and he says to us, Go ahead. Thank the Lord for the blessings you've got. Appreciate the, the home you had. The food you have. The warm place to be this morning. Go ahead. Enjoy those things. But in all of it, and today he reaches the conclusion of the whole matter. It's all empty. Apart from God. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 12. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because there are few and those that look out of the windows be darkened and the doors shall be shut in the street when the sound of the grinding is low and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and the fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and the desire shall fail. Because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets, or ever the silver cord be loose, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel be broken at the cistern. Then... Shall the dust return to the earth as it was, 
and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which is written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study, there is weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Remember now the Creator in the days of thy youth. In, before it's in the ninth inning. And he draws this picture. He's going to draw this picture of old age. And he says, now, while you have something left in you, while you can, while you're capable, in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, in our 60s, whatever we have left, give him the first few, first few, first fruits. I noticed a list of the problems of youth today as they are listed. One of the biggest things that they feel is a problem for the youth today is single parent households. Drug and alcohol abuse. Growing up too fast with, uh, with the games and, and uh, what, they're, what they're viewing and what they're experiencing. Violence in the school. Materialism, obesity, poverty, and lack of proper child care. And he says, these are the people that are looking at the wrong direction and looking for uh, fulfillment in other things in their life. And he draws a picture and basically he says, look, you're going to die. And earlier in the chapters, chapter one, I believe it is, he says, nobody's going to remember you. And we can prove that this morning pretty fast. Uh, a lot of you don't know the people that started this church. A lot of the younger ones wouldn't. And that's not that far back. You step back just a little bit more. There was men that were movers and shakers in the Hayward area. They, they came into this thing with a big railroad and they saw opportunity here and they took some of the big trees that were back there and they put these big logging camps down here and unless you're in logging and had a reason you probably don't remember how important they were but they probably accomplished more than a lot of us will ever accomplish we don't know who they are he says here's for sure we're going to die soon we're going to go old, and while you have opportunity, do something worthwhile. And he draws this amazing picture of stereotyping aging 
in an abstract and poetic way. He just draws it out, and we're not going to go through it in detail. But he says, when life isn't pleasant anymore. We were down at a show this week in uh, St. Paul, in the convention center there, and there was a, 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 a group of people called Leading Age. They're a national group or, a, or an international group. And they're the, they're, they bring together uh, care for assisted living. And that whole community in that, there, uh, in, in that whole hall there was having to do with designing, uh, architectural, our items used, everything for aging, for assisted living. So there was a guy down the two booths from us, and he came and talked to us. And, and he was a Canadian company, and he had uh, a chair that he developed and sold. And it was a chair that had everything in mind of an elderly person. As an elderly person starts losing some of their functions and some of their abilities, and so you could, you could press on the chair or flop down on the chair, and you could uh, then put your hands on and it would be stable and you could press up. And it had a little lever that was easy to reach with a gnarled hand. It was, a big, uh, it was big enough that you could move it. And you could swing the chair and you could swing it so that you were ready to go into the table. Or you could. And then someone that was a lot lighter than you, uh, just uh, a young one, could go behind that chair could press on a little lever, and without making a fuss, without drawing attention to it, could easily slide that chair all the way in under the table. And he was telling me how important it is to somebody that starts losing functions like that, that is unable to sit down on their own, and unable to sit up to the table, and unable to, when they're losing those things, and he said... Uh, it was a simple chair with a, an ugly looking chair with a simple frame, but it was very functional with one thing in mind that, uh, that an older person could have a little bit more freedom than they're used to having. And uh, I said, what does it sell for? And he said, $900. And I said, $900, that seems like a lot of money for, for a chair. And he said, yeah. It is a lot of money for a chair, but we sell them between 8 o'clock at night and 11 o'clock at night. And he said, uh, a, a man or a, a son or a daughter is helping their aging parents, and they're saying there's got to be an easier way after they put them to bed and they get on the internet and they swipe their card for 900 and then two days later, the chair shows up, and it makes their life just a little bit easier. And I said, wow, you have a lot of thought put into this to, to help that. And he said, yeah. Everybody that works in this ind industry ought to go to that booth over there. And they take you through a virtual training program where they take your hearing down, they take your eyes down, and they take your capabilities down so that you understand how it feels to the people that you're caring for. And what, it was interesting to me, but what 
what the wise man is saying to us, we're all getting old at the same rate. Some of us started a little earlier. But we're all getting old. And we're all headed towards this place where there's limitations. There's real limitations. And not all of us will find it as fortunate as Brother Oliver did where he sits down and goes home to be with the Lord. What a blessing. But he's making a point here and he's trying to get you to think. There's a day coming. Right now, you jump up, you move around, you talk. What are you doing with that? What, what are you doing with that that will last? Or is all that for yourself? Uh, everything that we do for ourselves is going to be forgotten soon after we check out. When I die, you're going to get together and you're going to say a couple of nice things if you can stir them up about me. You're going to come over here and you're going to eat chicken noodle soup. And that's about it. Yeah, we remember our loved ones, but what about our children and their children? What he's saying is your, your uh, priorities. Somebody else was saying that in, in Sunday school. Your priorities. He's trying to stir us up. He's trying to get us to look at this thing. When the time comes that you no longer can, that you're not looking back and saying, I don't enjoy life anymore, and all you're filled with is regrets. The things you said, hey, I ought to do that, turn into, I should have done that. And then you have limitations. So quick, I went from a teenager to where I am today. So quick. And I know those of you in school are just wanting to make it through the next test. Or those of you who are youth just want to get this. Or, or you just want your freedoms more. You want your license or, or whatever it is. But it happens so fast. It happens so fast. The, the brevity of life is a strain that's going through the Bible the whole way. That people are amazed at how fast life is. And then all of a sudden you fear height. And you see us old guys walking even on the hard driveway and we're taking it easy. You'll get there. Don't push us or blow your horn. Just take it easy. We walk, it says, like we're on ice. And we're afraid of height. And we start repeating the same stories. You'll get that soon. You need to take a vote here, guys, because <laughs> I'm going to have the same sermon next week. <laughs> we came home from our leading age. And I opened a refrigerator door. And here there was a banana in the refrigerator. And I thought, that's weird. <laughs> we keep our bananas over on top of the microwave where God meant bananas to be there. <laughs> I wonder what she's doing, some kind of dessert. And I finally, after a day or two, said, how come you got the banana in the refrigerator? Me? I didn't put the banana in the it happened again. So if whoever's messing us up and putting stuff in the fridge, <laughs> we really both from the bottom of our heart think the other one did it. <sighs> ah. 
stereotypes of aging, but we're all headed there. And towards the end of the chapter, he says, uh, these are words that I put together for you. They're only words. They're just, just words that I put together for you. And he calls it a goad or a cattle prod uh, where my, my dad-in-law had some cattle trucks and he had those electric things or cattle prod or oftentimes he used his cane and he'd, and he'd poke the, the whatever they were unloading and he'd keep them going in the right direction. He'd kind of get them going. He'd kind of, and it was, it was to steer, to prod, to spur. These words that he wrote are to stimulate and to guide. And he, and he uses the word picture of a well-placed nail by somebody, one of you carpenters that know how to put it, where to put it, that you're hitting a stud behind there, and that, that it's in the middle of that, that it's not splitting out the side. And some of us go partway in and then bend it over. And, but he's saying about a well, these words are like well-placed nails. They're at the right place. They're, they're holding. They're, they're only words. But my, how powerful they are. They're, they're just words that, that God uses. They're, they're just words. But they're a cattle prod or a spur, something to keep us on track. Only words set in order, he says. Jeremiah says in 23, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh rocks to pieces? Just words that God had them write down there. Just words. Hebrews 4 says, your favorite, one of your favorite verses, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. The punchline after he thinks and turns this around and looks at life from every angle and as he's experienced life like none of us will. When he threw a party, it lasted for days and thousands of people came, and the meals were extravagant, and, and he tried everything, and as, as, as he looks at life and, and studies it, he says, here's the punchline. Here's what you need to know about life. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this is the whole duty of man. This is what it's all about. And when we think the word fear, the word fear is a bit suspect to us because of the unfortunate, how the English language is, or the connotations that the word fear carries that we don't quite like it to. But the fear that it's taught, and, and some translations, the NIV, I think, often change that word, are... Uh, are, are um, give that word as reverence. And it's perhaps a better translation in a lot of places. Uh, when we think of fear, we often think of running or terror or seeing God as a threat. But 
It's proper respect and reverence and holding in high esteem and appreciation and awe and adoration and worship and confidence and thankfulness and love. And yes, there's an element of fear in there. And the best way that I can understand this is understanding it as how you look at your dad. You, you, there's nobody in the world that I love to spend time with when I was a little boy than my dad. And when he said in Dutch, uh, he'd think about it, or he's going somewhere, or he's going on a duty, and he'd say, Dukan Schmidt, uh, you can go along. I was just overjoyed to ride with dad from a little boy. Back then, you'd stand beside him on the pickup seat. You just appreciated spending time with dad. But there was also that... Uh, apprehension if you did something that you know you weren't supposed to do. When I broke the calculator, many years ago, calculators were just new, and when I broke that, and he said, come here. And the proper response was meted out and so forth. I dreaded that. But the fear of God is the respect and the desire, the love And what makes your dad sad makes you sad. Uh, My dad didn't cry. Uh, I don't know what happened to my emotions that they got messed up, but my dad didn't cry that often. But I remember a time that's burned onto my hard drive where his dad died. And I was about five because of where we lived. Like... And my mom was talking to him. And back then we didn't have codes, so to go upstairs there was two steps, then there was a door that you'd open. And he was up on those two steps. And I can see him 60, 58 years later or whatever. And mom was asking him a question in Dutch about the funeral arrangements and so forth. And he was giving her the answers and he went for... And it just hit him wrong. And he was there just before he went upstairs and he started uh, struggling with emotions. And there was a moment of silence and everybody in the room froze, you know, and then he went the rest of the steps and he closed the door. And that made me incredibly sad. And I was crying too. When you fear a person, when you... In the, in the reverence end, what makes them sad makes you sad. And what makes them happy makes you happy. It's that kind of fear, that kind of reverence. <clears throat> Job says, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. King James. And to depart from evil is understanding. And Psalms 11, 111 Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey His commandments will grow in wisdom. And it it starts with this fear. And fear, I wish there would be a word in the English language that would include fear and awe and reverence and love. 
it's that kind of thing that is the beginning of wisdom. When we, when we hold our Heavenly Father, and, and He wants us to look at that in that way. He said, no, you're no longer a servant. You're one of my sons. You're one of my daughters. I want you to look at this as family, not like a servant. Psalms 19 had one in there, and then I got caught up in their only words, but uh, in Psalms 19, there's one that says, fear for the Lord is pure and lasts forever. But I got to read more there because I I just uh, liked Psalm 19. The instruction of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, worthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence or fear for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold. The laws of the Lord, the rules, even than the finest gold. And they're sweeter than honey. Even the sweetest part, the one that's dripping right off of the honeycomb. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sin lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Fearing God, are this? I don't want to. I don't want to discourage anybody by that word fear, but the, the fear and the reverence of God results in holy living. When you have God in His proper place, when you look at God in reverence, in fear, twas. Grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. In closing, Solomon wants to urge us, prod us, guide us. From the experience that he had, chasing after things. And, and in his mind, he kept coming back. Look, guys, enjoy it. But through the screen of God's will and knowing that those things that you enjoy, those things that you work so hard for, those things that you have are going to go away. And there's no lasting value in any of them. It's all meaningless. The bottom line is fear God and keep His commandments. When Paul was walking through that city, and he was in, in Acts uh, 17, I believe it was, and he was saying, hey, I perceive that you're, you folks are religious people. And I noticed by one of your statues there, or monuments or whatever, that you have to the unknown God, and I'd like to tell you about Him. And one of the things he told them was Acts 17.31, For He has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man that He has appointed, 
And he proved to everyone who this was by raising him from the dead. We live our lives, you know, there's so many of us here. We have so many decisions to make. There's so many directions, so many struggles, so many things, so many gifts, so many different ways that God is taking us. We have these four certainties. The brevity of life. The reality of death. The certainty of judgment. And the opportunity of youth. Through this book, there's one thought kept coming to my mind over and over and over again. We have this moment to hold in our hand. And much more than that, we don't want to count on. This book was written to stir us, to stimulate us, to use whatever opportunity any of us have left for worthwhile. The purpose of this book is to expose the uselessness and the insignificance of the things that we spend so much of our time working for. To whet our appetite for a purpose that's higher than our own goals. Just to whet our appetite that there's more to living the abundant life than just more ingredients, more things. Let's kneel for prayer.